Hey there, Foster Care Nation. This week we have a great episode for you. This week we're going to talk to John and Valerie Hayes. I've known John Hayes for many years. John worked at the police department that my father worked at years ago, and I've known him since I was a kid. We were reunited a couple years ago when a lady we knew who owned a bookstore in town where we took the kids happened to mention her husband's name. When John showed up, sure enough, it was the same old John I'd known for many years. I just hadn't seen him in a long time. Come to find out, over the years, John and Val have been working for the cause of orphans since about 2005, when they went to Kenya, Africa. At that point, they started a not-for-profit organization called Mercy's Hope in 2007, where they work with orphan kids due to various tragedies in their homes. In 2013, John and Val were introduced to a three-year-old named Jesse. He came into their lives and has been a fixture ever since. Valor is a school counselor and has seen many, many kids come through with lots of different tragedies, traumas, and a lot of those kids were in foster care. John has been a police officer this whole time, so he has seen the many layers of brokenness in families in his job. They're both Christians and take seriously the verse James 1.27, where it says that true religion to God is to care for the orphan. And that's what they've been doing. So we sat down and talked with them this last week, and we wanted to share that with you. Foster Cow and on Power Journey. With Jason and Amanda Palmer. We like to talk about foster care and adoption and anything related. We tell stories about foster kids, bio kids, adoptive kids. We talk to caseworkers and anybody involved in the foster and adoptive system. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at fosteruj at gmail.com or check us out on our website at fostercarenation.com. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today we have John and Valerie Hayes with us. John and Valerie are a couple that I met a few years ago. I met Val at a bookshop where she was working in uh, in our little town, actually the town right next to us. And I found out later that I may have met her husband before. It turns out that John worked for the same police department my dad did. And I had known John as um, Possum, I believe, long before I actually knew what his real first name was. I knew his last name and I knew his nickname, but I didn't know his real name. <laughs> we got to know John and Val That's just a, a great couple And they knew that we were involved In the foster care system And we had talked about it a lot And we had, you know, Valerie was at the bookstore We'd bring the kids by all the time And had a great time there And as much as we had talked about it They had not decided to make that jump Until one day <laughs> Until one day I talked with I don't remember which one of you guys told us the story But um, we, uh we, we met and said, hey, yeah, by the way, there's a little guy in our life. So they're here to tell us the story about their experience and their time with that. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. How doing, are you? Doing really well. Thanks. Uh, we are crazy in our house full of kids who are all home because we're avoiding the scary virus. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you hear voices in the background, you're probably going to hear my kids today because they're in the house and they're all wound up. Yes. <laughs> That's and right true. on cue, he I, the big laugh comes from the other room. <laughs> oh, yeah. The four-year-old the other day, instead of taking his nap, he found a pair of scissors and gave himself his first haircut. Ah. <laughs> I mean, he's had haircuts before, but not of his yeah. own doing. This is the first haircut he's done. Yeah. Uh, he ended up shaved, shaved bald. He looked like he had the mange. 
Yeah, I oh. think I think he was going for that new style called the mange do because. <laughs> but it, it it was yeah it was so cute that you couldn't even be mad at it. <laughs> you know? Do family pictures because then you can tell the story for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes. You guys have a little guy staying with you, Jesse. And how yeah. old is Jesse? Jesse just turned five in February. How long yeah. have you guys had Jesse? So Jesse came to us in June of 2018. He was uh, three years old at that time. So we've seen him through his four-year-old birthday and his five-year-old birthday now. Wow. Yeah. So So how did you guys get involved in Jesse's life? Um, So at the time we were um, at a a church that uh, really does a lot of ministering to homeless population and uh, recovery. They do a lot with the people that are in recovery. And, and so it's real common to have people just come in off the streets or people bring people off the streets. And back in January of 2018, um, that uh, the Jesse's father uh, walked into the church with, uh, with him. And basically they were, um, they were actually under a bridge in I believe it was Winsville. Parents are uh, very transient and struggle with addiction. So that was how he came into our life. So first it started out as just as a church. We kind of came around him and we're trying to help support him and uh, the, the father that is in the hopes of getting him a job and getting him to be a little more dependent and that kind of thing. And through a series of events, um, he ended up being with us. Um, the children's division actually got involved. We had offered to watch him over the summer because I work in the public education. So I have my summers off. And so I offered to babysit him so his dad could work. And at that point, children's division had gotten involved because of some things that had happened. And we ended up, um, we've had him ever since. So he is not actually a part of the foster care system. We made a couple attempts actually to get him to be taken into protective custody, but it was always denied because he was with us and he was safe. So, um, so that led us to actually go the legal guardianship route. And so that's currently what we have with him is where his legal guardians, we were appointed by the courts. That's, that's, that's a world that we've never actually worked with as a legal guardianship side. I don't know a whole lot about that. Is that similar? We're still learning learning too. Um, yeah, it's, it, it lasts for a year. Our understanding is that we'll get another court order to come before the judge and as well as his family will. And, um, and the judge will once again decide if the parents are um, able to care for him or family member or if we will be caring for him again. And if that happens, then we would get another year. And that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, how does that, I mean, how does that make you feel? I mean, year to year, I mean, that could be kind of scary. It is scary uh, for me because, you know, you just, I'm one of these guys, I kind of like predictability and this is something that's totally unpredictable. And, you know, I think Val filled out in our paperwork, we're Christians. And so this was just a huge step of faith, you know? When uh, God places a little boy in front of you that needs protection, needs love, needs a home, you just obey, mm-hmm. you know, and and so that's a spiritual aspect of it. But then when you look at the legal aspect, yeah, it, it's a little nerve wracking wondering what's going to happen. But, you know, it's all in God's hands and we're just going to 
trust in him and do whatever we possibly can to take care of this little boy. It was so up and down for so long because we were actually, we actually had a power of attorney is what we had up until this past November. And we would have to find the parents every six months and have them, if they would even be in the same room together, we would have to have them sign that they would allow us another six months. And, and, and that was just really, I mean, there were, there were seasons where we didn't have anything and we were just going on grace, like just protection, God's protection that nothing would happen to this little boy in our care because we had no protections. And that was kind of when, um, that was when we started reaching out to children's division because we were like, we want to take care of this little boy. We want him to be safe. And until his parents are healthy and willing to, to parent him, we're willing to keep him, but we have no protections. So that's why we kind of reached out to children's division. But again, they denied us and they, they couldn't make recommendations, but they sort of recommended that we look at legal guardianship. And so for me, I get a little bit more peace with the legal guardianship because for him to be taken from us, it would have to go through court now. So where before the parents could just show up at our doorstep and we would have to give them over, um, now they would have to actually go to court and, and be found fit. So that gives me a lot of peace to know that it's that they can't just show up in the middle of the night, which is not, which is something that had happened before. So I have a lot of peace about it. Um, I'm not really concerned about how long we do this for because we're in it. We, we basically told God we'll do it for a week, we'll do it for a month, we'll do it for the rest of his life. It, whatever he needs um, and, and, and whatever the best place is for him. And we prayed about that too. We really prayed like, because um, we know families are the most important place for kids. To, kids always have that connection. As a counselor, I see that side of it. You know, I get to see the kids who are in foster care who have been adopted and they're now wanting to know who their parents were. They're wanting to meet their parents. Like, so that's, you know, something that we're always aware of. We're like, we want to make sure that if, if being with his family is what's supposed to be, then we don't want to stand in the way of that. Um, so we really did stand on faith. Like God, you, you move on behalf of that little boy, whatever it means. If it means staying with us, if it means going with a relative, um, and, and, and right now he's with us. And so that we just know right now he's getting 100% of us. Yeah, that's really awesome. You know, because that's one thing about, you know, whether it's guardianship or being a foster parent, you know, a lot of it is faith. You know, you ask mm -hmm. God for their protection of this child, you yeah. know, or this group of children. And sometimes you don't understand the plan, but right. it, it is his plan and we just kind of have to go with that. And sometimes it's really hard, you know, but yeah. it's really, you know, it's really awesome because when you do this, you know, what you guys are doing, what we do, you know, it it's from the heart. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that Jesse has a place to sleep at night and you guys are there for him. It's just really awesome. And I'm glad that you don't have to have that fear of someone showing up and, you know, the uncertainty of all of that. Right. Um, with that being said, do his parents reach out to you to see him? Do they do visits or anything like that? They haven't since the court date, um, as much as we tried to reassure them that this was not them losing him and, and losing their rights. Um, I think in their mind they have. But prior to that, there was some visitations, um, but but it was... Not a lot. Not it a was, lot. It was limited. And, 
And we really, for, for us, we really felt like we always were open to being flexible and going wherever they needed us to go, but we always kept the ball in their court. So we weren't calling them all the time. We weren't pursuing them all the time. Like we would, if they would call us, we would do anything to make arrangements to meet with them. But a lot of times it was a call and I'll call you back tomorrow and we'll plan a day and we wouldn't hear from them for three months. So we just. Or they call at 930 at night and he's already in bed. Right. Or at 11 at night. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But so so we learned a long time ago we had to have boundaries um, because, you know, the thing the thing about um, I think let me, I want to be gentle on how I say this, but I think that when a family is fractured and struggling, there's not a lot of boundaries. There's not a lot of consistency. And that's not healthy for a kid. So for us, we needed to have boundaries. We needed to have consistency. And we could not function the way that they were functioning, you know, which we, we just couldn't do it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't healthy for us. It wasn't healthy for Jesse and it was enabling them. So we made it, made a decision early on that, that they were going to have to be the ones that called us and initiated the contact. And unfortunately they really don't. So, um, but like I said, it's, it's not, we, we would love to, and we've always like, we will come every weekend. We will drive to you. We will meet you. We will do that. Um, okay. We'll get back to you and let you know where, where we want to do that. And then we'd never hear from him. So we're hopeful. He loves, he loves his family. He wants to see his family. He misses his family. So that's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one. That one's always difficult when you have a kid who really wants to see a family member and you can only do what you can do. Yeah. You know, and that that's the thing that we've learned in this journey is that we don't have a whole lot of control. Right. You know, we have a little bit of influence on, on the bio family and we can try mm -hmm. and help them as much as we can, but we yeah. only, we, we primarily, all we have is a little bit of influence on them. Right. And that's all we can do. And we've right. had that experience as well. We've had some parents who never showed up. Yeah. You know, well, and then you, you deal with the repercussions of that when the child is, acting out and oh, yeah. rejecting when you and, and yeah. yeah when they're yeah. crying and they don't understand it yeah. you know and it, and it breaks your heart it does and and it's hard not to get a bitter root in yeah. your soul oh, it is. About, <laughs> about the birth parents you know what i mean you because it you is. don't you know so much that's that's the hard part is you don't want to be angry at them because you know it, and especially in our situation where there's addiction, right. um, they, they're not themselves. You just, you just want for them so much to get healthy so that they can be a family. But, but yeah, it's, but you have to also release that. You have to release that responsibility of, you can't help people that don't want to help themselves. You know? Absolutely. They have to make that choice that they're ready. Right. You so know? what we, what we have control over and what, what our world is, is, is that little boy. And, um, and we will respond accordingly to how the parents are. And that's kind of where we're at with it. Yeah, so. but I mean, like you're saying, it, it is really hard not to get bitter sometimes. Yeah. You know, especially when you've been a parent and you've had children and, and you've raised children, you know, right. and, and you're like, you, I would move heaven and hell for my children. Yeah. You yeah. know, you couldn't keep me from my children a day. 
Yeah. You know, so sometimes it's really hard to understand how how people can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, but addiction is is terrible. It's a disease and yeah. You know, until they're ready to do that for themselves. Our little guy just the other night, I was out on the porch with him every night. He likes to spend just a a few minutes of time with just mom and we sit out on the porch and we look at the stars and we talk and he talks on the concrete and stuff, but the other night he just he hopped up on my lap and you know, we were having a conversation and he said, Mommy, do you think if Angela, which is his birth mother's name, do you think if Angela seen me that she would stop doing drugs? Yeah. And he's it's six. just he's six years old and yeah. and it's just so tough. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you just you care so much for your baby mm-hmm. and there's some things that you just can't heal for them. Right. Right. You know, you help them, you do everything you can, mm-hmm. but still, I, I mean, it just, it broke my heart, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, it's really hard to not be bitter at someone when you see children hurting that way. Well, and I think also the other conversation that we always have too, and, and maybe this is helpful, you know, for people, cause I'm, I'm a big advocate of like family care to preventative, you know, like when you look at, I've done, I've, I've just spent a lot of years studying um, just how do you reduce orphans, right? How do you reduce the amount of children who, who, who need other homes? And, and it all starts with family care. You know, it all starts with, with people helping families, you know, single moms, single dads, um, those kinds of things. And, and I think, you know, um, the hardest part is when you you don't like the child needs to know or will will need to know at some point that they're not the reason why they don't have this family but they're going to own it until you can tell them and that's the hard part too you know it's like i can't tell you that this is a b and c or why they're not with you um but you also want to honor and protect that family because family is, you know, blood is, what is the same blood, blood is thicker, thicker than, than water. water. And so we have to honor mom and dad because there's a loyalty there that we'll never understand. He's, you know, as a three-year-old, there was a loyalty there. As a five-year-old, there's a loyalty there. Um, so we will never speak ill of his parents um, and to him. Um, really, we try not to do that in practice anyway, but we, we have to honor that that and and so the question that we talk about too is how sad it is that they don't get to experience this beautiful child that we're experiencing you know like we look we look at him and we're like we are so blessed that this little boy calls us mommy and daddy and loves us and they don't get to experience this and that just makes me so sad for them you know absolutely every Every adoption that we've done, you know, we've done four now. We've adopted yeah. four children. And, you know, it's such a relief when you get to that point. But also there's a sadness for that loss, you know, mm-hmm. because it's it's a loss for our child, for our child's birth parents, it, you know, and and that's really sad. You know, you, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I told you it wouldn't take long. <laughs> oh, that's all right. But I mean, it, it is, you know, you, and I think about those things too. You know, 
what their moms are missing out on. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm thankful that I get to experience it and I love it and I cherish it. But at the same time, there there's a mama out there that mm-hmm. isn't getting to be a mama. And right. there's a daddy out there that's not getting to be a daddy. And I try so hard um, to, um, when I do have a relationship with, especially the mom, I, I have some real strong boundaries with the dad, but, but for the mom, you know, she's the one that I would try to, to, to love more, you know what I mean? And, and I always try to get into her heart and, and, you know, she loves her son. Absolutely. She knows how to love her son, you know? And, um, but, but her, her own life keeps her from, from doing what she needs to do. And we've been blessed um, as well in that, that they have been appreciative. You know what I mean? Um, and that doesn't always happen. <laughs> oh, you're right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and like I said, I think that in this season where we're not hearing from them, I think it's because they're pretty angry with us now because we did do something legally where prior to that, I think they were very grateful that we were helping them and loving their son in their absence. And the other thing was there was. I want to interject though. Um, I also think there comes a point where we had to make it legal because we were kind of enabling. We weren't giving them any reason to better themselves. Right. And it was jeopardizing this little boy as well. And also, too, it was putting us in a trick bag if we needed to get education for him or medical care for him. So. You know, because yeah, we, we had nothing. We didn't have birth certificate. We, we didn't we, have social security number. We had nothing. And and so, you know, basically they were, I think, upset now because there is an accountability, and our motive behind it wasn't necessarily to make them accountable as much as it was we needed to protect Jesse. And that's well, yeah, he you know, he deserves some stability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, yeah. because kids need that. They need that stability. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they probably are angry because now, you know, they're going to have to do something, you know, they're going to have to do something to better themselves if they want to be parents. Well, I imagine they were probably pretty comfortable with the idea of them living their life how they want. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially with addiction running rampant, because we've, right. you know, pretty much everybody has seen that somewhere in your friend group and your family somewhere. We've all seen addiction run rampant through through somebody's life. And yeah. if they're able to, to let that go and not have to do anything about it, and then you guys are taking care of the work that they don't have to take care of. Right. That, I think you're right, John, that, that, that sits in that, that category of, of enabling if you're not careful. And yeah. if nothing else, it makes them make the decision whether or not they want to do the hard work to get their kids back. If you go back and listen to some of our older podcasts, um, then, well, I say older, like we've got that many. But um, several weeks back, there's a, there's a podcast called Hope for Amy, and mm-hmm. Amy is a gal who was she she was addicted to methamphetamines and would start out as as a young girl, start out with some recreational use, and it turned into a, a real big deal. She got into manufacturing, she got into selling, and when the police department kicked her front door in and put her and her kids and her husband on the floor. I want to say they found somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10,000 worth of meth in the house. Yeah, she openly admitted she was she was stealing. She was like she had a hookup. She was she was a full-blown dealer. And that's the life that her and her husband were living. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until that happened, until the state came in and took her kids that she went, "Oh crap." Had something, to be rock bottom. Yeah, something has to change and that was her rock bottom. 
And yeah. today she has her kids back. She's got two or three years clean and sober, I believe now. Wow. It's she, awesome. She turned her life completely around. It's possible. It really is possible, you know, and we and we saw that just in the in the church that we ministered in for several years where, like I said, I would say 80 percent of the people there were recovering from addiction in some way, shape or form. And we again, we saw all all over the board. We saw the people who completely lost parental rights and were fighting to get their kids back to being their kids in foster care. And they're, they haven't lost parental rights yet. And so it is possible you know, and, and the thing is, is that's where I go back to that whole family care piece. And and I'm not sure, uh, you know, who your audience is and if there are people that listen that are are in the position of possibly losing their kids or not. But, you know, for people that aren't in that position, we need to be helping families that are stressed out, especially during this season. Like right now we've got everything going on and people are losing their jobs. And and this is the, this is the great time where where people can be looking for people who might need help um looking for single parents especially who are struggling piece here too and and it's one Val talks about and it's a poverty mindset yeah you know when when people hit a certain level in their lives where they're homeless they're unemployed they're relying on chemicals to you know abuse their body they get this mindset that they just can't get out of it. Yeah. You know, and, can't and, see another and, way. And so they're living hour to hour and day to day, as opposed to if I can do this aspect of my life, I can get out of this situation I'm in. They just don't, they can't see beyond the moment. Right. And, and I think part of, what needs to be addressed is how do you reprogram people's thinking so that they do that, you know, because the kids are going to ultimately pay for it. Mm -hmm. And then the cycle continues. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say is there's a cycle and it's it's just like, yeah, it goes on and on and on. It starts back with great, great grandma and you know, Mm -hmm. the next generation and the next and the next, and there's gotta be someone that says this is enough. Enough. Yeah, you know, and I and I lived that, you know, I had that cycle through my family, you know, and I was like, it stops with me. Yeah, you know, I will have my children, I will have a home, I will have a family, I will work for this, you know, Mm -hmm. I will change this, I will fight for this. But some people just can't get to the point to see that, you know, Mm -hmm. they grow up and they learn it and they feel like this is, this is what you do. You know, John said, I, I like what you said. It's that mindset is the most important thing. And I learned this from a friend of mine who has a, uh, who has a podcast. Um, I think it's the Dead Edge, um, the Dead Edge podcast. He renamed it recently. I, I screwed up all the time. It used to be the Good Dad po- Project. Um, but, uh, Larry Hagner is the guy who, who runs it. And he has a great piece about, about that, uh, mindset. It's a difference between a growth mindset. And a um, fixed mindset. And and the, the difference yeah. is simply this. It's one word. And this is a word you have to like teach people. And it's it's three letters that are so hard to teach people. It's the word yet. I can't do this. Or I can't do this yet. And learning yeah. that there's a yet on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Einstein couldn't do yet. He couldn't do it yet. But he figured it, he figured it out, right? Edison was the same way. Every one of us has been at that point somewhere in our life. And if you just apply that to the stuff that it's mostly not complicated, most of life is not that complicated. Sometimes it's hard. Mm -hmm. And the things that are hard are the things that are important to do. 
And you can do it. Maybe not yet, but you can. You might not be able to get out of the grips of the addiction yet. You know, and I've seen some addictions that were specifically heroin meth. Those two, if it's heroin or methamphetamines, those are the two that you get one chance to say no. After that first time, I'm not convinced you always have a chance to say no. You know, it it gets such a grip. It steals your soul. And you have to hit. Yeah, you have to hit such a rock bottom, such a hard place before you're willing to do the hard work to say no again. Well, at that point, it might be too late. A lot of times it gets to that point. You know, I mean, we, we've, we've probably all known somebody who's been found with a, with a needle, you know, stuck in them. And that was the last chance they had because they just never got to that place yet. And I, what I love about what you guys are doing, because this is, this is one of the things, this is a personal, a real personal thing to me, because I grew up in a church that was kind of cult-like. We were very judgmental and we were going to heaven and the rest of y'all sent ambassadors were going to hell. That was just kind of <laughs> kind of the mentality oh, yeah. that, that we had in, in our house, right? At least as a child, that's what I picked up out of it. That may not have been what they were trying to say, but that's what I heard. And right. it was really easy to to look at that judge look at that whole thing from a judgmental point. You know, we mm-hmm. could look at the different denominations and tell you why they weren't doing it right. And what I realized when me and Amanda were first looking, actually before we had even looked at foster care, I was listening to a radio program. And I, I, I was listening to uh, to some of the stats, and, and I thought, you know, it was a religious program. It was Dr. James Dobson on uh, Focus on the Family. And mm-hmm. and I, I think the stat was one family out of every third church, if they adopted a kid out of foster care, the system would be empty tomorrow. And I thought to myself, you know, the, all these religious folks, you guys all think, you know, blah, blah, you're doing, you're all so good. And look at what you're not doing. You know, I've read that book. It says orphans and children quite a few times. It's a, it you know, it's a real obvious thing that, you know, God keeps saying orphans and children, orphans and or orphans and widows, orphans and widows. And, and, yeah. and the churches just aren't doing that for the most part. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and no. you guys, as long as I've known you have been of the mindset that we're reaching out to the people in this world who need somebody to reach them. Mm-hmm. We're not reaching out to the, you know, to the, the middle-class upper middle-class couple who, who looks good and, and can invite us over for dinner and we can try and impress them with how holy we are and they're impress right. us with how holy they are. And, and the whole thing is all about just, just seeing who can be the most quote unquote godly, but reaching right. into the world in a place that needs a hand to reach out, to be the arms and the feet of Jesus to say, Hey, there's a hard place and you're in it and I'm willing to reach in and help you. And that's been part of the thing that really has, has impressed me with you guys' journey is that you're not, you're not focusing on, you know, Oh no, look how good we are. It's, Mm -hmm. Hey, I see this guy and he needs help. You know, you're trying to help a family. You're trying to help a kid. And, and that's important. That that's what this is really all about. Mm -hmm. It's not about showing people how, how good and godly you can be. It's about showing people who God is by what you do. Right. And I just well, want- and that's exactly right. And, and I mean, you know, Jesus himself, I just read this thing the other day that I thought, you know, when Jesus came, he, he said he didn't come for, for the healthy. He came for the sick. And my friends, we got a lot of sick people in this world. I mean, in all, we're talking to two of them. Right and, now. Yeah. And in all honesty, every single one of us is broken in some way. You know, I mean, like we're beautifully broken. It's, it's a hard world to live in and nobody gets out of here without scars and bumps and bruises. Like if, if you're here on this earth for any amount of time, you're going to get hurt 
all of us are hurting. You know, we've all been hurt. Um, we all hurt people. Um, you know, and, and, but Jesus modeled, he modeled loving the people, the unlovable. I mean, that's what he did. He didn't, he didn't come for, like you said, the, the perfect people. And here's something you, you know, you, you need to know there's no perfect people in the church. <laughs> there, I mean, there, there's, they like to think that, but I understand, I understand, but I've, I found some of the most broken, hurting people are in churches, you know, but they're so afraid to share the hurts that they've been through or the traumas they've gone through because they think people might judge them or exclude them. When all honesty, we all need to just be open and transparent about all the scars and bruises because that connects us as humans. You know, if every one of us is hurting and been hurt and you feel like you're the only one, then that's just, that just hurts you more. But as soon as you open your life up to someone and say, Hey, I've been there, I've done that, I've struggled with this, or I've had this happen to me, then all of a sudden you connect with people and you don't feel so alone. So I think, you know, Jesus modeled that he's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for the one that nobody else is looking for. And I'm going to see the one that nobody else sees. And and that's who he values. So I've just always asked that he would give me eyes like his, that I would see like he sees. And, um, and, and you definitely, it's not, it's not glamorous. It's, it's really not. I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to not do because you're choosing to do this. And when you say yes to taking care of someone else's child, you're saying no to a lot of things. You're saying no to hanging out with your friends who don't have kids. You're saying no to, um, you know, really Going romantic, you intimate want. lifestyle. Um, you're right. saying no to, there's a lot of things you say no to. Um, but we believe that if we really want to walk the walk and talk the talk and stand before a God who's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, it's going to happen this way. And not by, not by sitting in a church pew and not by reading another book about what we should be doing. We just want to do it. So, and I agree, Jason, I've read the same statistics about if, um, if every, if one family in every church would foster or adopt a child, there would be no children in foster care. Um, and there are some amazing churches out there though, where the, the leaders are very much like this and 90% of the church are foster care and adoptive parents. Um, it's a culture that they've created in the church. They've taken the word and they've taught it to the people and they're like, so what are we going to do about it? Um, so there are a lot of really amazing churches that have a culture of adoption and foster care, um, which is really what, what we should be doing. You know, oh, absolutely. So I encourage whoever. And that's the other thing, your question that you ask, like, you know, what do you think? Um, not everybody can foster and not everybody can adopt. I get that for whatever reasons, but everybody can do something, you know. And so if you know somebody who's fostering and adopting or or whatever, help them out. Offer to babysit, um, you know, bless them with a gift card to Target every once in a while. Or, you know, you can always do something to support the cause of those who are in struggling families. You know, I just think everyone can do something. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, bringing it, bringing it back, you know, did the I whole thing. Yes, you did. Sorry. I do uh, that. My Adderall's wearing off. <laughs> Val, and I, Val and I were in a situation in our life when this little guy came into our life and our two boys had grown <clears> up and moved out. And, you know, we, uh, we're doing okay. And, you know, God places this situation in front of us. And I, I can honestly tell you, 
this is the first time in my life that just blind obedience to the Lord kicked in. I mean, there was no, let me pray about it. Let me talk to a hundred people about it. And then reconvene in a meeting. It was like, here's this little kid in, in crisis, you know, and we're in a position to help. You just do it. I mean, uh, I'm a police officer. We covered that, but this is probably the single most important call I've ever been on, if you will. Um, this is one that, that really is life-changing and life-saving. And if I can help break the cycle of the things we have to combat every day, then that matters more than just going and throwing Band-Aids on a bunch of different problems, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. When, when God calls, you just answer. That, that's all there is to it. Um, I, I think a lot of times as Christians, we get too comfortable and we want to pray our way out of it. And and so, you know, if you're really plugged in, you know, God's going to hit you over the head with it. And you can say what you want to yourself, but you know in your heart there's no way out. Not and be obedient. You know, There's my, a rabbit <laughs> hole I went down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my moment for that was... Um, when was when I was listening to that radio program, and I was and I heard those numbers from Doctor Dobson, and and I <clears throat> was thinking to myself, oh, "You're mad." Yeah, I was. I was. I was <laughs> you, in full blown self righteous mode. I mean, I was there. <laughs> I got that. I, I learned that really well in my childhood. I, I can be self righteous better than most of them. Just ask me. I'll tell you how <laughs> yeah, good I am honest. at it. But oh no, I'm better. Trust me. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh, <laughs> this might go. this might turn for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but but in that moment, I was sitting there, and and as and as high as I was in my self righteous moment, mm. there was that thought that comes to my head that said, "What are you doing, buddy? Mm, yeah, you think you're you think those people are pretty rotten, huh? What are you doing?" And that was the moment for me when I thought, okay. Okay, you just I just heard something. <laughs> and I should probably listen to it because you know, it was one of those things that resonated deep in my soul. And yeah. it was just a few moments what was it? A couple months later that I happened to be writing an article for the newspaper. I went to children's division to ask a few questions to somebody and I left with a handful of papers. And I was like, Oh wow, like <laughs> like I had this thought not too long ago and everything just lined right up. And that's how we ended up where we're at. Well, and we had talked about it and talked about it, you know, because we wanted to extend our family and, you know, mm -hmm. we thought adoption was going to be that route. And then, you know, we just, he came home and he was talking about it and I just looked at all the statistics and they just kept being there. And I was like, you know, there's not enough homes and, you know, yeah. we want more children. And, and if, if this is the way that we are going to extend our family, you know, this is the way that I think we should do it. You know, and we went into it with, you know, yeah, we wanted to extend our family, but we wanted to help children and give them a safe place. And if God blessed us with being able to adopt some of them, then then that happened. But if it didn't, you know, it, it didn't. But we were we were in it to help kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been blessed four times now, wow. you know, and, and it's been yeah. great, you know, and we've opened our home back up again with the goal of not adopting anymore with you know, really trying to help the parents of the children that come into our home with really trying to help their soul and help them become mm. the parents that they need to be and yeah. to support them That's because, you know, <laughs> it just feels like, yeah. 
you know, through children's division and stuff, it feels like the parents don't get enough support. Right. You know, and they feel like everybody is against them. Once their children come into care, they feel like that's it. I'm done. I've lost my children. I'm never getting them back. You know, they're helpless. They're broken. They just feel like they can't get back up. And that really is, is our focus this time is to really try to help those parents and pick them back up and, and Mm -hmm. show them that there is another way and that they can parent their children and they can get them back, Yeah, you know, and to break that cycle. Right. You know, and so that, that's, that's our goal at this point. You know, because they deserve that. I mean, they, they absolutely. And the children deserve that. You know? They deserve it and um, they just don't know how. And that's what I said when I said earlier, I just, I really believe that his parents love him the way they know how. And, um, you know, and and we all have coping mechanisms. Some of them are functional and some of them are not. And some of them are destructive and some of them are helpful and some are harmful. And, and it's, and it's only because that's what you know, you know? So I think that when, when you can, when you can, lock arms with people who are going to just love you through it and try to show you not I mean, just different ways. I don't want to say better or worse because then that sounds judgmental, but I, you know, just that there, that there are other ways to, to get to the goals that you might have, you know, and well, something that I, that I was going to say, um, cause we had our journey had some bumps in it too, because like I, you know, we started a nonprofit organization in 2007 because we do some work in Kenya and Uganda with orphanages there. And so we've got kids um, that we consider our kids that we've been supporting and put them through college and all kinds of stuff. But I've always had a heart to do that here because, you know, we've got two weeks out of the, out of the year, we head over to Africa to love on these kids. And then we come back and we tell people about it and we get, you know, raise money and all this stuff. But then there's all these kids here. So I always wanted to do foster care. And we had an opportunity a couple of years ago to have a young boy come stay with us through the foster care system. We weren't licensed, um, but I was his counselor and he was being removed from his placement, um, partly because of some of the complaints that I had filed which hindsight, <laughs> it's funny how when you're the counselor, it's real easy for you to judge how people are dealing with a kiddo until that kiddo comes and lives with you. And then you're like, whoa, okay, now I know why this was happening. Um, but anyway, we had been praying about being foster parents. Our boys had been gone for a year. Yeah. And I, John knew about this little boy because I would talk about him at dinner and we'd pray for him. And and when that came up that he was being removed, John was like, well, let's do it. Let's, why don't we take him? And I was like, really? And we did. And we started the process of getting our license, but he ended up, um, he ended up, it, it just was a mess. It was a, it was a, it was a bad situation. And to be quite honest, it was more about us than it was him. We were not ready. We were not prepared. Um, I, I didn't have the training I needed, um, at, but that point, but it, Thank God we didn't quit though, because I feel like that was a step of obedience for us and God needed us to learn some things. So that put me on my journey of learning about trauma and learning about what it does to the body, what it does to the mind, what it does to the soul, um, and then how to heal from that, you know? And so I've spent years studying that. And I think that that has prepared us more than anything for what we're doing now. Um, so that was kind of a stepping a step up, a step for us towards this. Um, but it was, but it was a hard one. I mean, it was, you know, there was a great loss. 
um, when we when we lost him, uh, that boy. And um, but you know, don't give up. So I mean, you're going to have those bumps. And but I do think it's important that, especially if you're a married couple, um, doing this, um, you have to be like minded. It can't be one person wants to do it and the other's like whatever. I mean, yeah, it, you have to be a mom page. and a dad. It can't. Oh yeah, you, you got to have a team. You got to be it a team. Has to be. And because there's just going to be days where, oh yeah, you just you you got to be able to support each other when one's down. And you, you have know? to give each other time. I mean, basically, you got to be each other's cheerleader, and and communication's the key. You know, especially when you're empty nesters like we were, we we started getting comfortable with with a certain kind of lifestyle, and then boom, here we are with with a little guy again. You almost have to relearn how to be a married couple with children again, and, and so you gotta you gotta give each other that kind of attention and time mm -hmm. because uh, it's a job and, and it, it takes it, it takes a village to raise a child. And so when they're they're in the home, you gotta be on the same page. It's like yeah. mouse there. One of the things that we like to do with our little guy is because we just believe that. If kids see mom and dad having a healthy marriage and taking putting their marriage first, right? Like so, like if they look in and they go, "Okay, mom and dad's marriage is like tight," um, that actually brings comfort to them, um, and it's a great and you're modeling healthy relationships. So we very much do date nights, and Jesse loves it. He loves when we do date nights, and so we we always model. You know, it's important that mommy and daddy get some time to together. So we can be better parents. It helps us to be a better parent to you and we can have times away. So he understands that because obviously when kids go through things like this, there's always that rejection. There's always abandonment. There's all those kinds of things that come up. Um, so just teaching him that it's okay for, for mom and dad to go and have a date or be gone for the, for the evening and or the we weekend. will be back. You know. And we will be yeah, back. And um, you know, and, and that, that's uh that can be really hard for kids sometimes i remember the uh first time me and jason um dropped the kiddos off to spend the night they spent the night with us with jason's sister and mm -hmm. it was the first time that janai and deshaun had gone anywhere for the night away from us um, yeah. we were going out for our anniversary um, we were going to go to a bed and breakfast and Jason dropped the kids off. I had told him goodbye and everything. And Jason went and dropped them off. And Janaya, our little girl, um, you know, she was upset. And she said, you know, um, how did she put it about Christy? She looked at my sister and she said, are you my new mommy now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, oh, my goodness. It just speaks volumes to what they've seen. And I think that's that's an important piece of what, what you were saying. And I, you, I don't know if you said it specifically, but I think it's important to pull out is you're right. We're modeling. Mm -hmm. We are modeling. And I don't care if you're in, trying to model good or not. If you're not if you're not trying, if you're doing if you're messing up, you're still modeling. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we see these generational problems. Because we have parents who model poor behavior for kids, who model mm -hmm. the self-destructive behavior, and that's all they've ever seen. That looks normal. So they repeat that behavior. That's normal. We do what our parents do. Even though as teenagers, we swear we'll never be nothing like our parents, and then we turn out very much like them. Yeah. 
you know, my my stepmom more than once has looked at me and said, I hear your dad when you laugh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just all those little simple things. I learned so much from my dad that I didn't even realize how many more things have I modeled for my kids unintentionally. You know, I had my own struggle with addiction. After we lost our oldest daughter, I dove into the bottom of a bottle. Yeah. Me and Whiskey were good friends for a while. And I look back and realize that for my older boys, I was modeling something. Mm-hmm. And I've had to go back and have conversations around that because I was modeling. This is how you deal with stress. Mm-hmm. This is how you deal with problems. You know, go grab a bottle and see if you can find the bottom of it. And I did that for a while. And it wasn't until I finally realized that, you know, kind of had my come to Jesus moment where I said, okay, it's time to put the bottle down. It's time to to live a life intentionally and fix some things in your life instead of sitting back and just turning it all off with the whiskey that I realize that I'm modeling every day. Mm -hmm. If I'm angry, I model how I behave when I'm angry for my kids. And they're going to give that right back to me. I have a 14-year-old son who I know that the easiest way to get him wound up is to be loud and angry sounding. And guess Mm -hmm. what? He's going to do it right back. Mm -hmm. I promise you. But if he's all wound up, <laughs> yeah, and if he gets all wound up and excited, if I can respond to him really nice and calm, I'll bring his attitude, his his anxiety way down, and suddenly we're having a conversation again. And even those little pieces, everything we do is modeling, whether it's intentional or not. So we better be intentional about the things that matter that are going to change our lives for the good. Right. Because well, and we also know that kids that come out of adverse situations – I mean, they do a lot of sabotaging too. So, you know, they need predictability. And if, if, you know, getting you to, to, to yell and scream is, is predictable, (laughs) then I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get you to that point, because I know how to respond in that way. Um, And so then when they're in a new situation where, wait a minute, mom and dad don't hit me, mom and dad don't scream at me, mom and dad don't whatever. um, That's really messing up their neurological pathways, you know, and, and it takes time, you know, it takes time to push through. And, and that's why the younger, with the younger kids, it's a lot easier, right? Cause they're the neuroplasticity of their brains and, and what have you. But, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to stay consistent. And as a counselor, I'm sure you know who Karen Purvis is, right? Who is it? Karen Purvis, TBRI. No. Okay. Well, that might be something to look into. I've learned a whole lot from her. Um, Karen Purvis actually passed away a couple of years ago, but she seems to be kind of the the godmother of TBRI, trust-based relational interventions. And she talks a lot about the trauma and how it affects the brain. And, you know, now that we can see on the MRI, you can actually see Mm -hmm. the damage, the physical damage. The brain changes. So it reacts differently. And she has some really interesting ways of, of re-teaching yourself to deal with kids' behaviors, not because this behavior is a kid being defiant because they're just testing your boundaries. That happens. But sometimes you're dealing with some effects of after effects of trauma and learning how to, how to kind of work through that. It's such a powerful thing, you know, and whether you're dealing with your kids or you're dealing with other adults on a day-to-day basis, whether it's a bio parent or just somebody at work, John, I don't know if you've ever messed with anybody who had some trauma in their life and, and was um, acting out a little bit. (laughs) Never, right? Nah, never doesn't exist. But, but it's, it's such a powerful thing to, to learn, to look at behavior as, you know, as the effects of trauma sometimes. 
Because if you learn how to approach that differently, you have a different response from them. Right. And that's that's been modeled to me most clearly in my 14-year-old son. Because I can spin him up and have a fight on my hands in 30 seconds flat, and I can calm him down yes, and have please. a conversation in those same yeah. 30 seconds. And that yeah. choice is up to me. You know, right. John, I think you would probably call it verbal judo. Yep. That's what it's called. Yep. <laughs> that, that's a lot of it. Yeah, and I learned a lot of that from my dad. When that first came out and they first started teaching that in, in, the, in the police world, you know, I learned some of that from him, and I never really understood all those pieces. Mm-hmm. But as we've gone through this, it's been such a powerful thing to learn that, hey, if I can talk with these, you know, with a bio parent, with a kid, if I can be vulnerable and tell parts of my story that aren't easy to tell, that don't make me look like the, the savior coming in to save this, this yeah. whole world. I'm, I'm not coming in to save you. I'm not coming in to save your kids. I think um, a guy we interviewed had a great line I loved is, you know, all we're doing right now is we're giving our family to a kid. You know, our kid isn't taking you, our family is not taking your kid away from you. We're just giving our family to a kid for a while. Mm, I like that. And as long as I look at it like that, and I'm I'm trying to do the right thing, I can actually have a relationship that can usually be positive. I mean, you deal with what you've got. And sometimes if you have somebody who's in the throes of addiction, maybe that's harder to work through. But you do everything you can. Because at the end of the day, the most, the best thing you can do for a kid is to give them every opportunity to be able to sit down at dinner with their mom and their dad, who both love them enough to put away their their addictions, to put away their problems, to grow up and take care of them. And that's that's been kind of our our real goal in this as we've grown through this foster care journey. Because I don't know that we started with that goal in mind. We just weren't we hadn't been through enough to understand that. But I, Jesse sounds like he's fairly fortunate because he has he has you guys, John, who's probably dealt with more people in traumatic situations than we want to count. You know, that's that's just, you know, the world he's in. You know, Valerie, you, you're a counselor in a school. You've probably seen more situations than I would want to ever have to have in my head. Right. You know, and you can you can walk this journey. And yeah. it's no wonder that, you know, God kind of put you guys all in the place that you're at. Yeah, it's funny. It's not until you get to that place that sometimes you can look back and go, "Oh, I get it now." Right. I didn't know what that plan was. It looked crazy to me at the time, but I get it now. Yeah. You know something that I was I was thinking about too when you were talking about just how people how people respond. You know, and 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 I'm a brain geek. Like I geek out when it comes to the brain. Like I, if I could live a second life, I would be a neurologist. I think because I just love. You can't dispute the brain, right? If the brain shows a part of it lit up, and an, another part not lit up, you can't dispute that. And the the thing that I love to say, and and I say this to a lot of my teachers when when we have a child who we know has experienced some adversity in their life. And they're responding in a way we don't like. <laughs> it doesn't fit into our little box of how they should respond. And they say, well, he or she is choosing to do that. And my response is always, I agree. It's a choice. They are definitely, cho- it's choice behavior because they only have two choices in their bag of tricks because they have only learned two ways to respond to stress, fight or flight or flee, you know, whatever it is. And I said, we have to teach that there are other ways to respond when stressful things happen, you know, and we all do it when we, when we all get stressed, we all respond um, how we know to respond. And like I said earlier, some, sometimes those things 
make it better. And sometimes those things make it worse. And so I think it's super important when we're working with people, because a lot of times when you're, when you're working, well, all the time, if you're working with a child that's in this situation, you have a parent that has also probably experienced some trauma. So we always have to be mindful of that, that they're responding out of what they know. And, it, you know, it's kind of like if, if you're speaking English and you're expected to speak Spanish. Well, I don't know Spanish. I can only speak English. Well, no, you need to speak Spanish. You need to speak Spanish. I don't know Spanish. And that's, I think that's kind of how it is too. And we expect people to respond the way we respond when they have never, they've never learned how to do that. They've never experienced that in their world. So does that make sense? What I said? It It it, does. It does. And I'm not going to try and jump off into the brain world with you because we'd probably both geek out for another hour and a half. Oh, we should get (laughs) coffee then because I'm. Oh my gosh. You know, when we can get together one night, it, it would be awesome because I was talking to Jason. I'm like, you, you know, whenever you said you, you were looking for the address and, and stuff, I'm like, I would love to have you guys over and, you oh, know, yeah. and all that. But it's just, you know, the world that we're in at the moment. This but, is what uh, we get to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Virtual. But this, this moment will pass. It will. You know, it this will. moment will pass. And, and yes. when it passes, you know, sitting down and having a dinner together and, you know, that would be awesome. Yeah. And, and for the listeners who might be listening to this in 2021 or something, you know, we're in the middle of the coronavirus thing. And so social distancing is, has kept us, you know, a ways apart. At least that's yes, what they tell it, us we have to do. Instead of quarantine, we're, we're social distancing because it sounds nicer. Right. Right. <laughs> but I wanted to touch on one other base real quick. Um, you, you, met, you mentioned Mercy's Hope. Um, yes. I know that's a passion project for you for a lot of years. Yeah. What, where did that come from? Because, you know, I mean, I, I've seen all the documentaries or, or the, you know, the, the Kathy Bates commercials. I think it wasn't the Kathy Bates. Um, Kathy, somebody who had all the, you know, the feed the hungry children stuff on, on, uh, TV back in, in the eighties and nineties. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I, and I know it exists. It's never been a thing to me that, that I felt pushed towards. And I guess we're all pushed in our own direction. We but, are. But yeah. what, what, pushed you to to start your own nonprofit to to go to Africa for a couple of weeks a year to to yes. go halfway across the world i mean because wow. like it took a lot to get us to walk or to drive down the road to to our local children's division and figure out that hey we can help some kids i don't know that i have it in me to go halfway across the world that's not my <laughs> my thing so what what is it about that that draws you in so deeply well, I mean, in all honesty, it, it, I, I can only say it's just, it's a God thing. It's just, it's just what he put in me and what from the beginning of time. And my, I always say my mom will tell you that from a very early age, I would, I would always say that I wanted to have black babies and that I, and that I wanted to go to Africa, like from a very early age, who does that? Like most kids don't do that unless it's a calling that was put on your life. So I just believe that God put that calling on my life. And we, we actually started um, that journey through an organization called Compassion International, and they do child sponsorships. Well, these aren't children that are orphans. It's actually a preventative program. So you sponsor a kid, but when you sponsor a kid, you're actually sponsoring like a whole village and that the money that you, that you spend send goes to do education. <laughs> Um, provides food, medical, all things for families so that families can stay together so that there aren't orphans. So we start, I we started by sponsoring kids and you can take an opportunity to go 
and meet them. And through a series of just really amazing, miraculous God things, um, we ended up in 2005 traveling to Kenya to meet our two. Well, we had three kids that we were going to meet. Um, My dad went with us because he sponsored a kid, but we were going, we took our 10 year old boys and we went to Kenya to meet these kids. And we just said, God, what do you want us to do? And you, you know, you walk into an orphanage and back then in 2005, Kenya was not the way Kenya is now. Kenya is extremely progressive and they're really thriving and they've just come a long way. But back then we went to these three children's homes and I mean, it was bad. I mean, these, there was no food, there was no clothing, the, none of the kids were in school, there's no, there's no electricity, no water. I mean, it was just like, you know, 50 kids and one adult taking care of them. And, you know, but the crazy thing is, is they were the happiest little kids you'd ever meet in your life. And they don't understand the level of poverty that they're at based on our worldview. Um, so we just, we went, we experienced that and that was it. I mean, I was done. That was, I was wrecked. I just knew that I loved these I loved the people, I loved the children, and that we could come alongside them and help them achieve the things that they want to achieve. And we've had to learn a lot of hard lessons because we we did come in with a savior mentality. Um, there's a there's a mindset of of that that you can get hooked into when you when you start walking out journeys with people um, that somehow you have it right and they don't, and that's just that's wrong, but that's a, a bad, that's a bad mindset to have. Um, it's, it's really just helping people identify their own assets, identify their own gifts and strengths, um, and, and then supporting them in that, encouraging them in that. And, and, you know, for us, it was cool because we could help financially. Um, but we, we really, um, it's been a, an amazing journey. I, I love it. I could talk for 18 hours about, about our, our work that we do over there. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just kind of how it all started. And we've actually, for the last two years, I've been traveling to Uganda as well. Um, because there, there's an orphanage there that, um, that has just been around for a couple of years. And so just, just coming along them side them and just trying to help them out a little bit too. But the key is like what we've been talking about. It's, it's, we cannot look at what we're doing as we have all the answers and you just need to do what we tell you to do because what, how we do it is right. It's just that that is wrong. You will be hurt. You will be hurt by that. And the people that you're trying to love, you're going to hurt. You have to come in and say, wow, okay, so you're going through a lot. I've been through a lot. Let's support each other in this. How can we support each other in this and, and, and just be a friend and um, to people. But like I said, we made a lot of mistakes too. We went in with a lot of American ideas and we, we offended people um, quite a bit. We would offend people. And so we, we had to do some, some learning <laughs> and do mm-hmm. some reading. There's a wonderful book. Um, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I always recommend this book. It's called When Helping Hurts. Um, it's written by two guys. I don't remember their names, but you can Google it. Uh, when Helping Hurts. And they've got... Um, a bunch of different types of when helping hurts. And I think it's a great book to read um, because it really does, especially when you're going into this type of work where you're taking care of, of children um, and doing fostering and adoption. Um, we, as the people who are stepping out and doing it often do get hurt. And unfortunately, a lot of times people get hurt and they quit. And then they have this like negative view of 
helping other people. Like I'll, I'll never help a homeless person again because, and really it was their fault that it went bad. So, um, it's a great book I recommend, uh, for anybody who, for anybody who wants to step out of their comfort zone and go into the uncomfortable to get comfortable with people. I recommend that book. <laughs> awesome. I'll, well, I'll make sure I look that one up and I'll pull a link to it in the uh, show notes page on the website. Um, yeah, is there a, a way, do you have a website for Mercy's Hope? I do. Yeah. It's just mercyshope.net. That's it. Mercy's M-E-R-C-Y-S-H-O-P-E.net. Awesome. And do you have a Facebook page people could, could find you on as well? Yep. We're on Facebook too, which is Mercy's Hope. There's, there's a couple Mercy's Hope. Um, there's a Mercy's Hope that's in Russia. Ours is in Africa, and I think you'll be able to tell the difference when you look at the pictures. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I imagine more parkas in Russia. Like ebony and ivory, big difference um, <laughs> in the color schemes of the Facebook pages. But yeah, you can find us there. And um, and I really, honestly, Jason, I, I've been praying. We're kind of in a new season with Mercy's Hope. We've had a changeover of board members. And you know, I've heard it said 2020 is, is about clear vision. And that's kind of what we, where we're at with Mercy's Hope. We are looking for like a new vision for, for Mercy's Hope. And I'm, I'm really wanting to look at more local and how we can be um, partnering with other nonprofit organizations or just people groups that are, that are doing like-minded things. Um, yeah. I just, so be praying with us about that. Maybe, maybe we can all put our heads together one day and dream big. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to do big if you don't dream big. That's right. That's right. <sighs> yes, for sure. So very true. All right. Um, well, <clears throat> we're about time to, to wrap it up here, I think. I think one of the big questions that, that I always like to ask people is what piece of wisdom can you guys give the listeners that only John and Valerie have? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we possess any wisdom that other people don't have. Uh, the only recommendation I would be is don't let yourself get in the way of what God's telling you. Good. Um, I, I think that <laughs> I, I agree with John. I think in myself, I, there's really not a whole lot of wisdom. I've got a lot of experience and I've had a lot of failures and I've learned from those things, but um, I think for me, it's just if, if, and if every individual person understood how incredibly valuable they are to the Lord, to God, the creator, um, and that he views every single person with value and has a purpose for every single person. If we could just grasp that as people, perhaps we would be kinder. <laughs> perhaps we would love better. Um, perhaps we wouldn't abuse and abandon and do the things that we do. And if and so first we have to recognize that for ourselves, that we are so loved by a good, good father. And um and he and he just wants so much for us to just love each other. So I, I don't know, that's that's my thing. I just I, that's what I bring to the table is a whole lot of love. Wow, well don't sell yourselves short because we all have our shortcomings, we all have our mistakes and our experiences. And the more of those we have, the more wisdom we gain, because that's yeah. where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, most all of yeah. the wisdom I've ever gained has came out of bad decisions. Right. <laughs> I heard a saying, the road pays, pays with 
the road to wisdom is paved with many, many mistakes. <laughs> well, yeah. I must be on the right road then. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long road. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, I appreciate that, guys, because, yeah, it's <clears throat> you're, you're both, you know, you've got this unique experience. You've been put in this unique place, and, you, you know, you have a unique set of, of knowledge and experience and wisdom to give to people and a whole unique family to give to a little boy. So it's amazing what you guys are doing for Jesse because, you know, I've, I've often heard it said, you know, as I, we've, as many kids as we've had through our house, you can't save them all. You can't save them all. You know, you can't, you can't save the whole world. And, and I love the answer that's, you're right. I can't, but I can, for one, one little world, I can change that world. And, yeah. and that one little world is going to go out and change somebody else's. Because they got a new perspective, a new look on life, and we can all do a little bit of something. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love Mother Teresa says, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do, we can all, what does she say? Not everyone can do great things, but we can all do, never mind. I just chopped it. You can edit that out, right, Jason? <laughs> yeah, we can. You can, you can. Wait, wait, wait. You can edit it out, actually. Uh, Yeah. You can edit, edit that one out for me. <laughs> well, she did. She said a really cool quote about, and it's actually at the bottom of my email, but we can all do great things. We can all do little things with great love. That's it. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do little things, little with, things great with great love. Little things with great love. Something like small things wow. with great love. Okay. There you go. Fix that for me, Jason. <laughs> I told you my Adderall's wearing off. What can I do? It happens to all of us. But I still have a fairly large cup of coffee sitting over here, so I'm in good shape. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you guys coming on here and sharing your story with us today. And I'm certain it will inspire somebody out there. The world's full of broken people. And learning that you can be a broken person who can help build a place where, where young hearts can be mended. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, well thanks. Thank yeah, thanks for allowing us to share our hearts with you guys, and thank you guys for for what your yeah, just for staying the course and doing what you're doing too. Well, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with John and Valerie Hayes. Don't forget, we have new episodes drop every Friday, so be sure and come back and take a look. Or better yet, hit the subscribe button. If you're on iTunes, be sure and leave us a five star rating and review. We also have a Patreon account. If you guys would like to drop us a couple dollars to support what we do, we would really appreciate it. If not, the best thing you could possibly do for us is to share this content with some of your friends and family. You can find all those links over on our website at fostercarenation.com. We have all of our older content up there. It gives you an opportunity to listen to foster care perspectives from kids, foster parents, caseworkers, psychologists, and anyone else who comes through to tell us their story. If you would like to be featured on our show, Email me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Be sure and write podcast in the subject line so I don't let it get through me thinking it's just spam. Also, if you want to see us on the YouTube channel, we're also over there if you prefer that platform. Just search for Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. And as always, Thank you!